Welcome to the greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time. Welcome to WrestleMania! Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mr. Velvet Pipes, Christopher Platt, and I am welcoming you all to the inaugural episode of WrestleMania Rewind, where we're going to be going over some of the matches, some of the moments, and some of the memories of the previous iterations, all 36 of them, of the granddaddy of them all, a.k.a. WrestleMania. And we're going to be doing this with a revolving panel of some of your chair shot favorite personalities and maybe even a surprise or two. You never know. Just you never know what we have up our sleeves. Before we get started here, though, I do have to let you all know that WrestleMania Rewind is brought to you by the good folks at ChairShot Radio Network in conjunction with the ChairShot.com. And we remind you all to always use your heads. And by doing that, make sure you all go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the ChairShot and pick up an official ChairShot T-shirt. This is your favorite time of the year. It's mania season. We're all hyped up. We're ramped up. Our bloods are boiling, and we're ready to get it on. So why not commemorate your fandom by going to your favorite website with news, reviews, opinion, and analysis with attitude, and make sure we keep providing the content that you appreciate and love day in and day out. And again, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. We're not just a website. We're folks. So ladies and gentlemen, on the inaugural episode, of course, this will all culminate at this year's WrestleMania 37 down in Tampa. It's another two-night extravaganza. But today, we're going to be focusing on the first six manias. And to talk with me about that, I have an esteemed panel. First and foremost, the host of Attitude of Aggression, as well as Bandwagon Nerds, my personal legal counsel, and Sigliari, he just doesn't know it yet, put your hands together and show your love for the one, the only, Mr. Dave Ungar. You mean my new name is now Tom Hagen, right? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And welcome to the family. <laughs> Make me an offer I can't refuse. Awesome. Thank you for inviting me on here. Let, let's get this out of the way. First and foremost, Chris invited me on the show because I'm the oldest person on the chair shot staff. And I actually lived through all six of these first WrestleManias personally instead of like watching them on video or the network. So... You know, well, that's not entirely true. Sixty percent <laughs> of it is true every time. We we brought you on because you are a wealth and a plethora of knowledge in this particular field. That's true. I'll give you that much. So on the other end of the spectrum, we also have professional wrestler, stand-up comedian, and overall Renaissance man, the fabled one himself, Mr. Aesop Mitchell. <laughs> um, I will say, fabled one. That's so two monikers ago. Come on. Where we at now? Uh, well, you missed violent gentleman. That was in the middle. Now I'm the white whale of professional wrestling. Got to get my classy literature involved here. Touche, touche. I do apologize, Ishmael. Ishmael Mitchell, apparently now, right? 
Very much so. Thank you. And the only reason why I'm on this podcast is because I have to completely argue every point Christopher Platt makes tonight. So that's the entire reason why I'm here. Oh, joy. (laughs) And also, ladies and gentlemen, if you hear this voice, you got to know that this man is not going to be far far behind. You already know what it is. My personal producer and the chair shots resident plat whisperer apparently. Ladies and gentlemen, the commissioner, PC Tunney. Yes, ahoy ahoy, chips ahoy. We're back at it again um on this road to WrestleMania. I- I'm glad to have Aesop back once again. Good to talk to him. It- it's been a hot minute, so appreciate you coming on, Mr. Mr. Aesop Mitchell. Oh yeah, of course. Cool, Ismiel. You sound like Lou Gehrig right now when he made his uh, retirement speech. Thanks. Minus the, you know, disease portion, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more so talking about the echo in the background after everything oh, I'm sick. Do you still have it? Is it still there? Okay, we're gone. We're good here. We're good. We're good. Okay. So, <laughs> so it wasn't me. I haven't done anything. Fair enough, fair enough. There was a joke in there, but I do want to get to the proceedings proceeding this evening. So uh, before we do get started, I, I kind of want to go around the horn. Ishmael, a.k.a. Aesop, I'd like to start with you because you are a little bit younger than us. What was your first WrestleMania memory that you remember? And what when you hear the phrase WrestleMania, what does that mean to you? Well, now I have two totally different ideas on this. Like, WrestleMania itself, the... The name is very resident in my bones. I am a professional wrestler, right? You can't love wrestling and not love WrestleMania to some capacity. The whole reason why me, myself, we as wrestlers got into the sport is because we all kind of had some type of dream to get to that stage at some point or another. Now, my first WrestleMania... Honestly, I can't even remember the first one I saw. I know it was later on in my line of lineage, but uh, I do love it. I have always appreciated everything the performers and wrestlers have done on that WrestleMania stage. So you know that I love WrestleMania. Despite me not liking WWE. Totally different entities. Okay, cool. That's like okay. I I, I love I, I love vagina, but I hate women. I don't see how those two things can match. But whatever, whatever. We're not gonna go there. That's actually <laughs> that's actually something you can understand if you're a man. You know. Yeah, that. that makes yeah, sense. I, if you're yeah, heteros- not, if you're a heterosexual man, I'm completely behind the fact of loving vagina and and you know disliking women. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even gonna touch that with the ten foot pole. So, Tony. <laughs> What does Mania mean to you, sir? Listen, they're all great until they're not great, except for your mother. So WrestleMania, to me, means... Yeah, she's always been great, yes. <laughs> WrestleMania, you can send your hate mail to at it's me, DPP. But WrestleMania, to me, it, it just means the biggest show with the best talent. That's what it's mainly meant. I know it's completely different now. I guess it's different when you go through each set of six that we're going to go through. Honestly, it was really interesting to watch it progress here. So it's it's a spectacle. It's something that I'm going to make an appointment to watch. That's that's a lot of what it means to me. 
Mr. Hagen, do you concur? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. Whoa, there's that Lou Gehrig thing going again. Today, today, today. It's going to be a fun episode. Lots of lots of echoing going on. But I, for for me, WrestleMania is it, it is the granddaddy of them all. It is. It is our Super Bowl. It is, you know, for pro wrestling fans or for people like Aesop, who's actually in the business and competing, it is the Super Bowl. Whether you like WWE, loathe it somewhere in between, um, WrestleMania is what everybody aspires to. Whether you are the, cha- you know, Bruce City champion or whether you're the AEW world champion or anything like that, you're aspiring to get to the main event of WrestleMania. That's what that's what it's all about. That is the top of the business. And it, it, it is, it is the birthplace of sports entertainment. I mean, you got pro wrestling, you got sports entertainment, sports entertainment was born really with WrestleMania. And that's, that's what it means to me. It, it, it is a spectacle. It is the super bowl of pro wrestling. It is everything that we love about the industry all rolled into one or now two days, the last couple of years. So you know, I, that, that's what it means to me. I mean, if you're asking me the first re- first WrestleMania I really remember, like, I remember watching 1, 2, and 3. 4 is the one that really stands out to me as specifically sitting there, watching it go down, mind-altering substances notwithstanding. But, you know, that's I remember WrestleMania 4 extremely well. That Because you hadn't had a four-hour event. We're going to get into that, I know. But that's the one I really remember. The first three kind of all blend together other than you know Hulk Andre that sort of thing and the funny thing is not only were you mind altered I'm pretty sure all of the wrestlers on that card that evening were also mind altered so yeah you know what I got (laughs) my fanny pack yeah so (laughs) so real quick man Dave I want to double back to you but before I do that I I do want to kind of set the table and just provide a little bit of context about how we got here right If, if you will so in 1982, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, the one we all know and love, and I'll use that term loosely, he purchased the WWF from his father, which from all accounts that I've read was kind of a sweetheart deal. I think he paid about a million dollars for it, but it was an installment payment, so he didn't have to pay it all up front. And very quickly after that, Vince had the idea that he was going to take the WWF, formerly the WWWF, from a regional territory national because this was again we're thinking 82 so at this particular point in time most of the professional wrestling was regional and the WWF they were the Northeast Territory i.e. New York like if you listen to a lot of the old school guys out there they still refer to it as New York so Vince went around bought up a lot of the smaller territories and the ones that he couldn't buy up he just cherry-picked the best talent. And in essence, he turned WWF into the all-star game of professional wrestling. And along the way, he decided that he was, as Dave alluded to earlier, going to create the Super Bowl of professional wrestling, which came to be known as WrestleMania One. So, Dave, if, if you could, just a little bit, man. I'm not sure when you became a fan. You can talk about that as well. But just going back to that first WrestleMania and before that first WrestleMania... What were the vibes? What was the buzz about this event? Was there a buzz? Was it this huge pop culture phenomenon that we were led to believe that it was? Yeah, it it definitely was. I mean, you're talking about when, like, the stuff you're talking about with Vince buying WWF from his dad. 
and you're talking about the territory days and the tail end of the territory days. When I became a wrestling fan, like in 80 or somewhere like that, I started watching it. You had three major promotions. You had the WWF, you know, up in the Northeast. You had the NWA down South. And then you had the AWA out in the Midwest, which was Vern Gagne's territory and all that. So there were actually three that were really, really big at this point in time. And the AWA had their own problems. They had Nick Bockwinkle and Vern Gagne and, and you know, that sort of thing. The NWA had, like Tony and I and DP and AJ, we had reviewed Starcade 83 a few weeks back. And that was the first air-quoting pay-per-view. Now, it was a closed-circuit event. It wasn't like what we think of when we think of pay-per-views or what WrestleMania 3 would be. But that was the first foray into kind of really putting together a televised supercard. AWA kind of dabbled with that, with WCCW and doing stuff like that, but they really hadn't tried it like NWA did. And when you compare WrestleMania 1 to Starcade 1983, okay, Starcade 83 had the better matches, but that's all it has going for it. You look at everything that WrestleMania 1 did and everything leading into that, the whole rock and wrestling connection, bringing in music, uh, that industry, bringing in the movie industry with Mr. T, nobody had tried to just kind of go across, you know, all these different media boundaries like Vince did. And you brought it in there, and yeah, as you got closer to this event and the stuff going on with Mr. T and Roddy Piper, and then you had... Hulkamania was running wild. You know, Vince had gotten Hulk back from the AWA uh, at the what at the end of '83. Took the belt off Bob Backlund, who had it for like six years, and flipped it to the Sheik, who then dropped it to Hogan in Madison Square Garden. And that was, we all know what happened. And that was in a matter of like less than a month. A I month. Think. A month. Yeah, a month. It, it didn't take long. It didn't take long at all. And 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 Vince strapped the rocket to Hulk, and Hulk ran with that thing. And he. I mean, we're going to talk more about Hulk Hogan, but yeah, I would say before WrestleMania, WrestleMania one, there was a tangible, different feeling about the industry. A lot of that was tied to Hulk Hogan. Hulkamania was running wild. Make no mistake about it. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He had brought national media attention to the, to the attention of WWF at the time. And so this mega event that Vince wanted to do had a lot of buzz about it. A lot of people talking about it, a lot of mainstream media coverage, which was unheard of for pro wrestling at that time. So yeah, it's, it's, it was pretty much everything that it was cracked up to be a lot of stuff you guys have heard about living through it at the time. It was a big deal and something that, you know, people like us who watched it was like, wow, this is really amazing. You know, Hulk's on the cover of sports illustrated. Holy shit. So yeah, it was pretty cool to me to just kind of connect the dots, you know, 83 you talk about 82 83 we're 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 barely 20 years removed from the wwwf leaving the nwa and having their own world title right so it's not that crazy but vince sees he wants to hold more more land more territory right and how do you do that you appeal to a more general audience with people from the mainstay and i'm going to kick it right to you asap dave you hit it on the head right away the creation of sports entertainment, basically. I was just going to say that. It's something that we all kind of take for granted now. We, you know, we see the artists, musicians, actors, sports athletes uh, come in when, you know, when WrestleMania 1 was going on or before it even happened, you know, that we never had anything like that. And to bring in uh, a whole bunch of different icons and celebrities 
you know, Muhammad Ali being one of the guest referees, uh, Liberace being uh, a timekeeper as well. Like, that's some crazy stuff back then. You know, nowadays, like I said, we, we see it. We expect it. You know, we get Bad Bunny more or less coming this up, uh, upcoming WrestleMania. But back then, no way, man. That wasn't going to happen. I, it's so, like, go, go ahead, Sonny. It's like Vince figured out the formula before anybody else could and didn't even let anybody know that he had figured it out. You need to be a wrestling company that makes a television show for more than just wrestling fans. Because any well, other... It's, it's almost not any... even so much that he, that he figured out that formula. It's He believed his bullshit, and he had so much confidence in that going forward. And if he didn't have that utmost confidence in himself, I promise you WrestleMania would not be the entity that it is today. And and just so folks know, the original NXT was AWA. So I, I want to, because you guys did touch on the rise of Hulkamania, I want to get to that, but just real quick. Well, no, let's just go there right now, okay? So... Because it, it really feels like all of this was just so serendipitous, okay? So, Rocky Three, it comes out in May of 1982. And again, as... That's right. And of course, I don't know what the hell that was. But of course, uh, Rocky, or excuse me, uh, Hulk Hogan played Thunderlips in that movie. Mr. T's in there as well. We'll get to that here momentarily. But at the time, as Dave alluded to, that Hulk Hogan was still up in Minnesota with Vern Gagne in the AWA. Now, apparently, Vern and Hogan had somewhat of a fallout surrounding Rocky Three because Vern didn't want Hogan to be in Rocky Three. So the movie comes out in May of 82. Hogan signs back with WWE because he had been there in 79, but he comes back in WWE in December of 82, which you could basically just say that's 83. Okay, into 82, that's 83. And then by January 23rd, 1984 that's when he took the title off the off of the Iron Sheik and we're off and running from that point on because I mean the first six manias really the first nine manias are Hulk centric but really these first six the story arc that they tell within these first six in regards to Hulkamania this is what really put it on the map yeah absolutely I think I think actually maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but I think it was Vince's dad that had a problem with Hulk doing Rocky and that's why Hulk went to the AWA. And 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 I think after that, as soon as Vince got the company back, somebody double, you know, fact check me, please, Tony. But I think it was Vince Sr. who had a problem with Hulk and said, you can't be a movie star and be a wrestler at the same time. And Hulk's like, well, fuck you, I'm out of here. And he goes up to Minnesota. Um, but I think Hulk's big problem with Vern was that Vern didn't want to put the belt on him because he was too busy passing it back and forth him and Bockwinkle kept passing it forth with a little bit of Kurt Henning thrown in there you know Mr. Perfect was in the AWA too and I mean Hulk Vince's signing of Hulk there's a whole lot of backstory to that that we can get into some other time but but it was fascinating how Vince grabbed Hulk from Vern and like I remember when Hulk took the title didn't Vern offer the Iron Sheik an undisclosed sum of money to break Hulk's leg in that match shoot break his leg in that match and Sheik yes. wouldn't do it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, everything about the first six, I mean, the first eight WrestleManias for sure, really Hulk-centric. I mean, 
I mean, seven and eight kind of, you know, it starts to veer off the path a little bit, but well, seven, not so much eight for sure. But um, yeah, like you're saying, Chris, the first six WrestleManias, like we're going to talk about, it's all revolving around Hulk Hogan. And, and for good reason, he was, he was the industry back then. I mean, the NWA, you compare the NWA at that time, which morphed into WCW midway through what we're talking about and compare that to WWF and the two companies are night and day. The so, way they approach everything and what's is the, just so different. What's the craziest thing about the NWA, too, is name name their top three stars and then tell me they weren't in WrestleManias 1 through 6 as well. Well, other than Flair. They, other than Flair, yeah. And that comes... And, that, and, that, and that's, you know... <laughs> at the same time, though, like, he's going to be there shortly. <laughs> you got Dusty. Right. You got Harley Race. I mean, that's huge. Piper Valentine, that dog collar match from the first Starcade. We see both of them well, at WrestleMania one. Well, Greg Valentine is Ron- all over the first six WrestleManias. Oh yeah, Ronnie Garvin made an appearance, I think, in WrestleMania six. Him and D- Dino Bravo, but Aesop. So Hulk Hogan, right guy, right place, right time. And I wanted to go around the horn here too, but or did it have to be him? Well, I mean, there's a lot of theories on that. I mean, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan believed in Vince McMahon and what the idea was for him. And, you know, Hulk Hogan also, too, had a somewhat tumultuous upbringing. You know, him and Matsuda, his trainer, just did not get along. And uh, you saw him, you know, kind of bouncing around. Uh, Obviously, him and uh, Brutus, you know, one of his best friends in the up bringings uh really kind of trying to find his place and then that first go with wwf at the time you know kind of opened his eyes a little bit and gave him a true character too because man he was he was wrestling under a mask for a time being uh you know with as super destroyer and uh could you imagine where that could have left uh could have went if they would have kept hulk hogan you know the face of wrestling underneath a mask still now again whether or not it had to be hulk hogan i don't know but he sure as hell took every last drop of that vince mcmahon juice and he ran with it It, and you can't you can't even question his charisma and personality hulk hogan is one of the most polarizing figures in wrestling and a lot of that just had to do with the fact that he believed in it himself. So real quick, I want to go around the horn here, if you guys don't mind. I, I jotted down, like, literally right before we started recording, a few names. And let me know, yay or nay, if they possibly could have been the guy. If there was no Hulk Hogan, could this have worked with this guy? Let's start with the American Dream Dusty Rhodes. And feel free to jump in at any time, anybody. No, I here, I'll just... Uh-huh. Let me cut you off. I know you're going to name a whole bunch of other names, but I think there's only one guy who had a chance at it, and I don't think that he was stable enough and as well-rounded, to be honest with you, the way Hulk Hogan was, to be in that spot. There, No one looked like Hulk Hogan. Like, no one was as tall and as wide as he was and still in the shape that he was and at the same time could talk the way he could talk. Like... It was it was ridiculous, and a lot of that a lot of I give a lot of credit to Linda when she was with him because 
I know personally my uncle drove him in a limo multiple times when he came to Milwaukee and Linda was there all the time sign that autograph wake up we're here here here's some water whatever you know among other things I don't want to really get my uncle in trouble for but it couldn't have been anybody else in my opinion the only other person that I would say could have possibly been because he never had a chance to get it because he wouldn't do business is Piper and he's the other guy who that early on went to Hollywood and also made a movie I'm talking about grabbing the 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 whole scope of everything. So I'll just, sorry if I cut you off at the knees there, Platt. Well, you, you, you kind of did, but we're still going to run through these names. So, <laughs> so Dusty, no, I, I would agree with you. I think that body. Yeah. Yeah. But the body that just, that wasn't going to work there. Now, speaking of body, Carrie Von Eric, he had the look. I don't know if he had the charisma and honestly, I think his demons probably would have got the best of him, but it's another interesting. What if, Carrie Von Eric uh, definitely couldn't. He was not very solid, or at least didn't meet up to par with Hogan on the mic. Uh, he had a lot of in-ring personality. People were drawn to that babyface look that he had, and it showed later on. Uh, you know, I mean, hell, that guy worked with one leg for a time being, and it, man, no one really knew about it until later on. But he was not the same level of uh, of draw power that Hogan was. If you do not know the story of the Von Erichs, it is a sad, very sad story of how things unfolded for that family. Uh, go to Vice TV and, and watch the story there. Um, very interesting. Um, if you're if you're a wrestling fan, you, you should know your history, and that's definitely an important part of the history. If WWF was limited to texas to dallas yeah carrie von eric could have been the guy but <laughs> get beyond the scope of dallas texas and no then it all kind of falls apart all right so just real quick dave i'm gonna come back to you here man this is a name that i often think about now i granted i'm not that familiar with his work but he had the look he had the charisma and he had the promo which is austin idol uh again I don't think he would have resonated on a national level. Austin was was really well loved down in the South. Absolutely, you know, a, a legend of Georgia, Florida, those kind of areas. But his his kind of demeanor, he didn't have Hulk's body. Let's let's you know. I mean, he was in good shape, but honestly, the only guy I look at uh, as far as like body levels who could have been kind of on Hulk's level would be Tony Atlas. But Tony didn't have Hulk's charisma. You know, but he definitely had the body well, for it. Tony but was, Austin just Tony was also black, so that probably wasn't going to happen at the time. I mean, just being honest, exactly, just being well, yeah. just honest, no, that's, just that's being true. completely, literally honest. Like, the, I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not. I'm. You're not. I'm glad you said that though, because another name that I had on the list, speaking of black wrestlers, is Junkyard Dog. Now you can't look at Junkyard Dog when he got to WWE because at by that time his demons had started to take over as well and he wasn't the body guy but if you go back to Mid-South like 1981 1982 Junkyard Dog this Mellon Farmer looked like he was a he was built like a brick shit house, and he had the charisma the people loved him I kind of lean on what you're saying Sonny I don't think at that particular point in time that they were ready to go national with a black man as the, the lead dog but it was also the 80s so when you think about what's happening, hold on, just real quick. Just think about what's happening in the 80s. We got Michael Jackson. We have Prince. 
We have Eddie Murphy. The Cosby Show is coming on the scene. We're going to get to Mr. T here in a second. WrestleMania 1. Like, black people, specifically black men, were pretty over in the 80s. I understand why they went. It's just a, it's an interesting what if for me. But you didn't ask me if someone could fill Ted DiBiase or Macho Man Randy Savage's shoes for what WWE did. You asked me if someone could fill Hulk Hogan's shoes. And I'm not saying that a person of color couldn't have done that, but there's no way that Vince would have done that. And I'm not trying to say whether or not he was racist or not, or he is or isn't, but the country at the time would not have, I think, been drawn to that. And that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Well, look at look at it in today's standards, too. Look how reluctant WWE has been uh to give an African American wrestler any type of shot. Well, look at what's um, look at what talk about what's happening tonight. And as I say that, we're recording uh, Monday, March first. It's about half past eight o'clock on the East Coast, uh, gentlemen. I am recording and not watching, so spoiler free show here. But yeah, Bobby Lashley, right, Aesop? Yeah, and I mean, whether or not he wins it, it's another story. But uh, I mean, look, they have a very small list of wrestlers that they backed uh, that were African-American or even just of minority to begin with. Right. No, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with any of you guys. So I guess we could throw Snooker out too. I threw him out there as kind of a wild card. (laughs) Snooker, I know. I know. I'll just leave it at this. I know. (laughs) I'm not even going to say anything, actually. Never mind. No, you're going to say because he's out there murdering bitches. I understand. No, that's not (laughs) where I was. That's a bad look. That's not you, you, you can't have your lead baby face out here murdering women. That that's just yeah, that's not gonna work out well. Demons were in his trunk. I'm legitimately was and not gonna so say that. Women. With all due respect. No, I wasn't Nothing. gonna say that. No. Well at the time for right <laughs> but he, here's the other thing. He was forty one years old at for WrestleMania. He was already okay, forty one. So, yeah. Yeah. Fair uh, You know, I will say I always had a big what if yeah, in my head about DiBiase. DiBiase was very good on a mic. He could wrestle very well. Now, don't get me wrong. He didn't look like Hulk Hogan, but he still had a pretty damn good body. And, you know, he's one that's always been in my head of if he got that push, but, you know, can't really make that, those assumptions now, right? I mean, if we're talking bodies, maybe Orndorff. You know, I mean, he had a hell of a body. He could talk. He could do it all, but he was held under Hulk's thumb. So, but you Fair could enough, you baby. stand Orndorff and Hulk together in the ring, right? Like, I mean, come on. There's a there's a clear, much more uh, classic American is, appeal to Hulk Hogan think, than Paul Orndorff. Think about before Hulk lost the title, who really came closest to, to defeating him? It was Orndorff. That steel cage match where they had to restart the damn thing. That was the closest I ever saw anybody come to beating Hulk at that point in time. I'm not taking anything away from him. Mr. Wonderful was was especially that early on in, in the 80s. But I think you're seeing the end of, I'll be kind, you're seeing the end of his peak come 85. Hey, all I know is his WCW theme song. Mwah, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> WCW did have some low-key bangers, man. But that's the end of there. Uh, just kind of moving down the road here, man, uh, the initial WrestleMania. So it takes place March 31st, 1985. We've all heard the stories. Vince 
basically mortgaged the entire company. He put his own money up, tried to make this a success. I do think that that story has been somewhat blown out of proportion as time goes on because history is written by the winners. I think, obviously, it was a risk, but it was a calculated risk. And it clearly paid off. So the attendance that night at Madison Square Garden was 19,121 people. And it did a million buys on closed circuit, which was the precursor to pay-per-view. So, Dave, just hypothetically speaking, if WrestleMania 1 had flopped, what does the industry look like today? Uh, I don't... I'm pretty damn sure we're not doing this show right now. That's for sure. I'm pretty sure Aesop's probably doing something other than being a pro wrestler. Um, I don't know if the industry... I mean, survive, yeah. I mean, it survived for, you know, it's almost a damn near a century before that. Would it have any resemblance to what we see now? Highly unlikely, I would say. I mean, I, I don't think you wouldn't have sports entertainment. You'd still have a lot of regional sort of things going on. Territories, yeah, Territories, for sure. Territories would still be a thing. Um, I, beyond that, it's it's really hard, hypothetically, to say. I can say with a lot of confidence it would not look anything like what we have now, Raw would not be going on behind you right now, Chris. That's for damn sure. Um, you know, we would not be yeah. talking oh, any fuck. super cars. Thanks for breaking the glass. Can you turn that off for fuck's sake? Otherwise, I'm going to be watching it. I'm serious. Turn it off. So uh, I, I think that's a safe bet, Chris. That I, I it would not the industry would not resemble what we have now. That's that's for sure. It would not it, an alternate reality. Where you know the WWF WWE is is talked about in the same sentences as the NFL. No, that that's not happening if WrestleMania one flops. No, and you're I'm getting more regional markets for sure. I, honestly, I I would think it probably resembles something similar to what baseball is today, where you get a lot of that local love for whatever that team is, and maybe it does get some national. Uh, you know national views as well but for the most part it's there is no monopoly i'm pretty sure ted turner was a big wrestling fan wasn't he regardless of what vince mcmahon had done at wrestlemania i don't know i somebody would have figured it out somebody listen people in the wrestling industry and i mean this in the in the best possible way find a way to make the most money they can possibly make. I'm, I'm trying to say this politely and, and, and with respect and, and with like honesty at the same time, it, it's somebody would have figured out that there was a better way to make a quicker dollar. Now, would we have gotten the same, uh, what do we talk about production value all the time as we do now? Uh, highly unlikely. No, that's fair. That's fair. And so it happens. WrestleMania 1 goes off. It's a huge success. Of course, the main event sees Hulk Hogan and Mr. T defeat Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. And, yeah, and we're off and running at that particular point in time. Does anybody have a favorite Mania match? Because, I mean, it's kind of, it's a little sketch, these first couple of Manias, man, in regards to, to work rate and match quality. It's not a, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think the best match on the first first WrestleMania is the uh, U.S. Express versus the Sheik and Volkov. I mean, that to me, the tag match is the best match on the card. It, you have to search pretty hard to find 
uh, a really high quality match on WrestleMania one. I, I think, and part of the problem, I think when you watch that card back somewhere in the middle, David San Martino wrestles Brutus beefcake. And here's where WrestleMania fucked up is the fans at Madison square garden wanted Bruno in the, if Vince had put Bruno in that match instead of his son, you're talking about a very different and even more successful event it, because Madison square garden. I know Tony's gearing up to say something. That's the house that Bruno San Martino built well before Hulk Hogan ever came along. And when Bruno got in the ring and just started beating up on, who was it? One of the Valiants, right? One of the managers. Um, that, place came, that place came unglued for that whole segment because Bruno was involved. But you remove that. I mean, the main event was fine for what it was, for what it was designed to do, which is to integrate sports and entertainment. But, yeah, I mean, Andre slamming John Studd, that sort of thing. Um, shout out to Tito Santana, first match ever in WrestleMania history. Uh, King Kong Bundy supposedly squashes SD Jones in nine seconds. It's more like, what, 18? <laughs> Something yeah. like that. Uh, so, you know, it, for what it was for match quality, no. The, the, it's, it's probably one of the lamer WrestleManias that we've had. But from a historical perspective and everything that it did for the industry, it's the most important and greatest WrestleMania of all time. Is wrestling wise, the match between Brutai and, and David San Martino is, is the best match on the card. It literally is. They actually have some wrestling in the in that match. I, I have literally watched these last six manias in the last three days. So to me, when I like, watch like that, better than tag, like that better in the tag match, really. I well, it, it's the only match that was over ten minutes until we got to the final match, and that's a theme for the first few manias. Is there's no matches longer? Literally, there's. There's a six-minute that the Valentine match is six minutes. Everything else is under five minutes before the championship match, besides that San Martino match. And I thought they were definitely. Don't you think it was probably Bruno that said, "No, you're going to get my son, and I'll come manage," because they were trying to put Absolutely. him over. And you could see him work. He can work, but it's not. You're he's stuck. Your 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 dad hold the title for what eight years and then four years respectively, to give or take. I mean, that's insanity. I mean, he was really the first guy to actually legitimize the WWF belt. Yeah, Tony raises a good point. He mentioned a match in there where <clears throat> not having Bruno wrestled might have been a missed opportunity. Another missed opportunity was they should have put the IC title on Junkyard Dog at WrestleMania 1. They should have had him beat Valentine. That would have really helped that event along, I think, at that point in time, and they didn't do that. So, And that was one of those really weird finishes oh valentine's pinned him oh wait i caught your feet on the ropes get your ass back in here and valentine's like nope i'm taking the count out see you later so there's some missed opportunities at, at that card for sure but none of that mattered because of what they presented to americana as a whole which was this mega event that brought all these different industries together for in this one massive show that was a huge raging success and yeah, Hulk Hogan was front and center of the whole thing. Yeah, no matter what you do, uh, and like whatever WrestleMania is going forwards and how we rank them, uh, WrestleMania one has to be in the top five always because of the fact that it's the very first WrestleMania, right? It'll probably stay at that five spot forever, realistically, because uh, it, it's not a very good show. There's not a lot of competitive matches. Uh, there's not a lot of good matches either, like let alone from the competition aspect. But it, 
it's not a great show, but at the same point, you love every second of it. You can see the pure joy in not only the wrestlers, but the fans as well. People love watching that first WrestleMania and will always love watching that first WrestleMania. Let's not forget Andre the Giant won $15,000 that night. Ooh, and then had it stolen by Bobby Heenan. <laughs> yeah, he never <laughs> But, like, you compare, like, Aesop's got a good point. Um, <clears throat> WrestleMania production values. You compare that first WrestleMania to Starcade 83. Tony, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Starcade 83, with all the technical problems that they had, trying to do a promo with Dusty Rhodes, they can't even get the audio to fucking come out. Meanwhile, you look at what WWF did at WrestleMania 1, went off without a hitch. I mean, Beautiful production values. Everything went smooth. It looked like a professionally run event. And I, 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 I don't think you can undersell how important that was to the American public at that point in time that, wow, look at what these guys pulled off. I mean, this is really – this looks good. This plays well. It's fantastic. So it's, it's a raging success for Vince on every level. Even if the matches by our by our you know Meltzer wouldn't have given any of these two stars, but who gives a shit? I agree with everything you said, Dave. I'm just a little pissed off at uh, Aesop here, who decided to make as much noise as he possibly can as you were pontificating upon the first WrestleMania. So appreciate it. <laughs> no, My bad. but <laughs> no worries, no worries. But you know, I gotta bust your balls a little bit. Oh yeah. I, I, I think I enjoyed the main event tag match more than most. I mean, it was a shit show, but it was a spectacle. You had Muhammad Ali throwing punches at Orndorff and Piper. You had Mr. T out there doing Mr. T things. Snooker got involved. It was it was just the ultimate shit show, but ultimately I was sports entertained by the spectacle of it all. And we say that Mania 1 is the probably, you know, work weight rise, the worst Mania only to be surpassed by WrestleMania 2. But before we get into that, <laughs> we do have to pay a couple of bills right quick. You're listening to WrestleMania Rewind on TheChairShot.com. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShot.com. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. So as much as of success that WrestleMania 1 was, I think it was Albert Einstein that said for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. And I think that's WrestleMania 2. Everything that went right with WrestleMania 1 totally went wrong with WrestleMania 2. Number one, it was the only mania that has ever premiered on a Monday night. And I, I will give Vince this. It was hella ambitious. 
granted, I got to give the devil his due. It was an extremely ambitious event. I mean, it emanated from three different arenas. They had four matches at each. There was one in Chicago, one in New York, and, of course, in L.A. And every arena had their main event for that city. And then they were supposed to watch the rest of the show on the closed circuit in the arena. And from all accounts, it was a clusterfuck. It just, you know, there was technical issues. It didn't sync up right. I think there were times where the matches weren't showing up in other arenas. And it was... A, a shit show, blank period. Dave, what's your favorite Mania 2 match? Favorite Mania 2 match, uh, Hogan Bundy because of the blue steel cage where they introduced that for the first time. That's the most significant thing. I'd say the best match on the card, and I'm using card loosely because, you know, you got three venues. But um, so I, I think, like, um, the match between the Bulldogs and the Dream Team I think was the first match we got at WrestleMania that I would say kind of rose the bar a little bit. Uh, And that match was pretty good. The Bulldogs broke through. They won the title. Ozzy Osbourne was there continuing the whole music wrestling connection. You had Ozzy there. You had Captain Lou Albano had, had, you know, took another tag team to the promised land. Uh, That was was a good match. The, The, I mean, well, I mean, we'll talk more about the card. But yeah, Hulk and Bundy was was the match that I think most of us were interested in because of what had gone down with King Kong Bundy and that sort of thing. But, yeah, the blue steel cage, the iconic blue steel cage, was basically introduced at, at WrestleMania 2 for that match. So that one stands out to me. But, yeah, like you're saying, lots and lots and lots of problems with WrestleMania 2, no doubt about that. Yeah, we're not going to talk a whole lot about this card, man. The less said about this uh, this event, the better. Now, one thing that I do want to bring up that was significant on this card was that it was the WrestleMania debut of one Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah, against George the Animal Steel, who had a uh, bit of a thing for Elizabeth, you know, but then again, who didn't? Listen, so if we're not going to talk about Adrian Adonis versus Uncle Elmer, I'm going to shut this whole fucking thing down right now. <laughs> uh, we're done here. We're done. Thank God that? we're how not about, talking about that. Or how about the, the sweet science, the match between Mr. T and Roddy Piper? What a tremendous boxing match that was. What a oh, fucking geez. joke. How about, anyway. the lost, how about the lost... Brawl fight? for all before Brawl for all. Yes, exactly. What about the lost, long-lost funk brother, Haas Funk? Fucking oh, get the oh, funk. Get the WrestleMania too. Get the funk out of here. Uh, look, I will say you did have potential for a great match to start it off with Orendorf and Morocco, two guys that are fantastic wrestlers. You know, we already talked about uh, Orendorf, but Don Morocco is a great wrestler. Yet you had to totally ruin it with a double countout that was completely pointless to kick off a show that way but you know we've already talked about the failure that is wrestlemania 2 despite it having some pretty cool moments yeah speaking of cool moments you had the wrestlemania debut of damien choking out george wells so that was um you know that was fun (laughs) a little bit disturbing but that was fun uh but yeah i mean there's there's just it's so hard to take stuff away from that event i mean the steel cage match talking about Hogan and Bundy it's back in the days when you could only win a cage match by escape you know because if it was pinfall Bundy had Hogan pinned Hogan had Bundy pinned you know but Hulk just 
that avalanche in the corner where Hulk just stares at him and hulks up. Okay, shit show that WrestleMania 2 was. That was a cool moment for people like me back in the day. Because anytime Hulk hulked up, you know, that's when it was on. So that, that was really cool. So, uh, But yeah, other than that, it's hard to take a lot out of WrestleMania 2 and say... I mean, and Elvira's commentary was just simply fantastic. It was shout out to Elvira. It was though. it was <laughs> Dave. It was excellence personified. If I hear that phrase one more fucking time from Gino, fucking Gorilla Monsoon through WrestleManias okay. one through five, I mean, it was excellence personified. It's athleticism personified. Okay. Everything's personified. But, hey. Vince, we got it. You love the word personified. You got a fucking word of day calendar, and the fucking second word was personified, and you fell the fucking love. The opinions of PC Tunney do not necessarily ref- no. But all that aside, um, you got to give it to Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura. They were the anchors of the first six WrestleManias and did a phenomenal job on commentary. I mean, Gorilla's excellence personified notwithstanding. <laughs> the dynamic between Gorilla and Jesse through these first six WrestleManias it, it probably underrated, I think, as far as the anchor that really kind of ground everything down and, and created some continuity during six years of this stuff. So shout out to those guys for the job that they did through those first six WrestleManias, including Jesse, you know, taking his standing up there and posing and doing all that shit. We'll get to that soon enough. Man, Jesse Ventura never got the the amount of love that he deserved that man was so good on a microphone. I wish his wrestling was better because he could have pulled off a Hogan, right? There <laughs> but you go. That's a different. That's a different story. Well, that's you know, a, both. That's also both a health health thing. Wise. It's also a health thing too. How many WrestleManias in a row did it end with Jesse saying, "I'm so fired up, I feel like coming out of retirement." Touche, touche. And going back and watching those first six, you you heard a lot of that. And I'm glad you brought that up, Dave. I I had that here on my little cheat sheet. But, yeah, the commentary was just phenomenal. The chemistry that both those guys had and the fact that they called it like it was an actual sporting event. We don't get that a whole lot nowadays, you know, in this sports entertainment landscape. So, yeah, I I love their commentary. And they even made bad matches seem somewhat entertaining, even if they even if they were just bickering amongst each other during the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when we get to WrestleMania 3, the pressure really starts rising on those guys to deliver along with everybody else. But but real quick, man, before we move on, you did bring up Elvira, and I just had to give her her props. I don't think the youngsters understand this. This is before you had pornography literally at the palm of your, your fingers and your phone or your laptop or whatever the case may be. So to see, as a youngster in the 80s, being able to see that much cleavage, that was a big deal. It was. <laughs> no yeah, they don't understand. And good cleavage at that. And good cleavage at that. We talking about straight from Cleveland, Ohio in this Mellon Farmer. Leave it to cleavage. You know what I mean? Joan Cleaver. Cleavage. Yeah, I get what I'm going for. The original witch's tit right there. So (laughs) (laughs) And she had a great run too in the eighties, man. There's a lot of these weird pop culture phenomenons that are associated with WrestleMania that were weird in the 80s, like Mr. T for an example and Elvira, she she fits into that as well. How about the, the 80s were an interesting time. How about the where's the beef lady and then the freaking who's the guy Dave uh, from the other uh, it's a Burger King the you gotta find the guy who's never had a burger before or something 
What was the guy's name? Oh, it was right. WrestleMania one. I don't... Oh, Steve Allen? No, I don't no, know. no, no. Is this just this burger guy? You had to find him or something. But I mean, like when that. like you're talking about these sort of damn it. You know these sort of characters out there. Like you get to WrestleMania five, Morton Downey Jr. That motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> here's your cameo. So we'll talk about that. Think about the role they went on for people opening with the anthem from one, two, three, and then eventually we end up with like Rock and Robin or something like that. Yeah, we're, we're gonna get to that later. Okay, on. That's, sorry. That's part of. Late, late our, Charles yeah, did WrestleMania to too, so you got to give. You know, there is that. And Aretha did three. So, yeah, but we're going to get to that, man. I just transitioning from two to three, I did want to just touch on Macho a little bit because I think he's a, a very big player in these first six manias as well. So he makes his debut in the company June of 85. And, of course, he made his WrestleMania debut against George the Animal Steel in WrestleMania 2, which you know we're in for a long night. If Macho couldn't get a good match on the card, it's all bad for everybody else. So transitioning from this point forward, he is an integral part to this whole thing. Obviously, the match with Steamboat, we're going to talk about that. The uh, the title win in, at four, the Mega Powers explode at five, and even the, the mixed tag at six. Aesop, man, I want to start with you here. There's a, a huge argument to be made when you talk about in-ring ability, uh, being able to talk on the microphone, and being able to draw money. By all metrics, there's a legitimate argument to be made that Macho Man Randy Savage is the greatest of the modern generation. So ASAP, I gotta have to I have to ask you. Macho Man Randy Savage. Underrated, overrated, or properly rated? Mm, I would say he is pretty prop properly rated. People appreciate Macho Man a lot. And especially in my line of work, the people that I talk to regularly say Macho Man is one of their favorites. Now, if he didn't look like a Cro-Magnon, you know, he could have pulled off the Hulk Hogan bit as well. Because, unfortunately, Macho Man looked best when he had the glasses and the hat on. Uh, and that's unfortunate, but... He was, uh, he was an ugly-looking dude. But his technique was fantastic. His promos were arguably, in my opinion, better than Hogan. They were so damn good, entertaining, and I regularly listen to them to this day because Macho Man Randy Savage could not do anything wrong, in my opinion. And like you said before about... WrestleMania 2, you knew it was going to be bad when he had a rough match. I mean, more or less, WrestleMania 4 is all Macho Man all the time. And then with a little sprinkle of matches here and there. Oh, definitely. And Dave, with all due respects to the uh, deceased and the passed on and the transition, I couldn't get over the treasure trolling hair that he had on top of his head that was I don't know but Randy Savage underrated overrated properly rated oh man that's a tough one I, I think I agree with Aesop Savage is probably properly rated um, you know you talk about these first six Wrestlemanias there are two wrestlers who really stand out there's Hulk Hogan there's a notch below Macho Man Randy Savage and then a notch below that the Ultimate Warrior those three guys are the big ones through the first six WrestleManias. 
Savage is the only one I look at when I think of WrestleMania is one through six, and the only one who really jumps out to me is Savage. You know, other than Hogan, um, he's he's probably properly rated because he's so tied into Hulk Hogan and everything that's going on with Hogan that you know, you know it's it's almost hard to separate the two because they were you know especially after WrestleMania three, Savage comes to the forefront out of kind of necessity, you know that sort of thing, but. I think he's probably properly rated. I agree with Aesop. He he did the best promos. I mean, the build-up to WrestleMania five is probably some of the best promos you will ever hear. Those two guys, and there's that one promo in particular where they had Savage go first, and, I mean, that's the whole thing, you know, you say you love me, well, I hate you. I hate your guts, you know, and that whole shit. I mean, that fantastic, and Hulk Hogan's comeback was uh, was excellent. So, Everything about those two guys, Savage could do a promo like no other. Um, I, I think he's probably properly rated, so I would I would agree with Aesop on that one. You know, and one more thing to chime into that: that whole Mega Powers break up breakup is really sold off of the facial expression from Macho Man, constantly questioning everything that uh, Elizabeth and Hogan does, and the very finite details of his brows, you know, just do giving a little, uh, you know, Macho Man is fucking impeccable in that entire storyline. And you could not even tell me that that would be the same thing if Macho Man was just a hair uh, below that standard that he had because ever I mean if you haven't heard Macho Man was crazy about getting everything down to the the smallest detail and you can see that in his work especially WrestleMania think. three yeah, it's yeah, exactly I, what I, I was just about to say that's ex- what Aesop just said is exactly what I thought about Randy Savage when I just watched him and Steamboat at three. I thought, you know, how much is this benefiting them right now that Randy was so anal about exactly what he wanted to have happen and made sure that every person he got in there and you know Ricky was probably back there just, yep, how about a little bit of this, yep, okay, boom and it just, that's why it was so amazing. That was an excellent segue, by the way, because I, I do want to talk about Touch on 4 and 5 because for my money, that's the best piece of storytelling that WWE F whatever the fuck you want to call them they've ever done but obviously ever. we have to, ever yeah but obviously we have to touch on Wrestlemania 3 and you know that's leading us into the Pontiac Silverdome suburb of Detroit Michigan the numbers obviously are disputed so the official attendance number which broke the record at the time was 93,173 do I think that that was there was that many people there probably not but if you look at the vast sea of humanity in that arena and the way that it was shot, it was a lot of melon farming people in there. And I think that as important as WrestleMania one was, obviously I think this was the one that kind of took the WWF at the time to the next level because of the storyline that they built between Hogan and Macho. And this was the first undercard that actually had good matches. I mean, obviously, we're going to touch on Savage and Steamboat, but there were some other pretty good matches up and down this card as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, for myself personally, WrestleMania starts on WrestleMania 3. That is the true 
talent that WWE had and just didn't really draw it out until then. And, you, you know, you kind of notice it too, especially looking at the card. They don't rely as much on the entertainment value that they had before, you know, having a Muhammad Ali, having a random Alice Cooper, you know, appearance or something like that. No, no, no. These are strictly wrestlers with, you know, an appearance by a celebrity guy here and there. They're not the focus. I would say yeah, that one of the best think... one of the best six man tag matches ever in this card, WrestleMania three. You know, you talking about with the was it Danny Davis and the Hurt Foundation? No, he's talking no. about Bundy and the Midgets. I'm talking about the Haiti Kid, <laughs> Little Beaver, and Hillbilly Jim teaming up to take on King Kong Bundy, Little Tokyo, and Lord Littlebrook. I mean, they turned on him. They didn't even they didn't even want to go back in the cart with with Bundy. I mean, hey, what what do you what do you want from me, Little Beaver? Little Beaver, fucking <laughs> Little Beaver sold some shit on that match, man. That's all I can say. There's a lot of Little Beaver running around here. Hey man, uh, yeah, uh, we we all pray that the little beaver sale. Speaking of Elvira and pornography and beavers selling, but uh, <laughs> beaver cleavage—that's the, the combination of the two. Hey there, nice beaver. That's funny. That's a naked gun reference, pop for you, Tony. Love you for that. One of my favorite movies. But so, Dave, Savage Steamboat. I watch this match at least once a year. I think it still holds up well. What 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 say you? Is it still the greatest? Is it top five, top ten? And 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 how underrated was Ricky Steamboat, by the way? Like in, in terms of being a wrestler, goddamn Ricky. I, I think this is still in my top three WrestleMania matches of all time. Still top three. I put it up there with uh, Taker Sean at twenty five and uh, Austin Hart at WrestleMania thirteen. It's right there. You know, it's it's um. I mean, you're talking about the first great WrestleMania match that has... It wasn't just the, one of the first great WrestleMania matches. It's one of the greatest matches of all time. And, and you look at where what we dealt with so far at WrestleMania 1 and 2 and the match quality there. And for then this match, which... And, and it also had to follow, like, Adonis and Piper, which was a hell of a match. And, and lots on the line. Piper's first retirement match. Bruce Beefcake flipping babyface cutting off you know Adonis's hair so then for Savage and Steamboat and, and, and that was another feud that was built up really well with Savage crushing Ricky's uh, larynx and all that sort of stuff Ricky coming back and, and getting the win um, <clears throat> the match holds up really well it's put together so well it, it's still even by modern standards a very fast match lots of two counts I mean stuff we take for granted now but you don't see matches that are like I, I guess, you know, built like that one was, even today. They they did everything flawlessly. Uh, there was so much that they just put into that match, mixed in with their emotions, mixed in with two guys who are that talented to put it all on the line like that. I, I've never liked the end that much because I'm like, you know, after everything they've been through, Savage has Steamboat built, beat, and he gets, you know, he tries to slam him, Ricky hooks him and pins him. I think I would have wanted a more definitive ending than that. But other than that, that's that's like a minor bitch about the match. It, it's simply fantastic. And, and it's the match that, you know, on a match where you're talking Hogan-Andre, and after the WrestleMania is over, everybody's talking about Savage Steamboat, you know you've really stolen the show when you're getting that kind of conversation. And, and that match is, it's timeless. 
it's one that I would watch many, many times, probably watch it two or three times a year myself. Uh, simply the first truly great match in WrestleMania history. Aesop, you look like you want to get in here, brother. Oh, well, of course I do. Uh, this is a match that we constantly reference in wrestling for the storytelling, for the technique. And, you know, if Steamboat didn't have the uh, personal stuff at home issues uh, that kind of derailed, I guess, in a sense, his WWF career, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see how far they would have built him up, you know, going forward. Um, it, man, and, and, and you can't you can't watch that match and not be blown away at the uh, athleticism and the theatrical talent on, on top of that. And I, I think WWF really kind of saw that potential of Macho Man there to build towards later stories that were years down the line. I definitely think that really helped for, for his big time push in WrestleMania four. Tony, do you have anything to add before we get to that? Because I kind of lump four and five together because I see that as one long story arc, but, but Tony, yeah, go ahead and interject here. I want to take a sidestep for, for three. And I wanted to mention something because in watching it, it kind of hit me and, and kind of stuck with me and stood out to me. And it kind of calls back to your question of, if not Hogan, who? One of the biggest pops at three and one of the hottest guys going, and he, he kind of did it to himself at the time, derailed it, was Hacksaw Jim Duggan. The pop for him coming out for that tag match it, with, with you know, and I understand it's the whole USA and the Russian thing going on, but... And I'm not, and I'm not saying like that's my answer to it because I don't think that would happen. But I think, I think you talk about overrated, underrated, correctly rated with Macho Man Randy Savage. I think the amount of love and and boy, heat in a good way with the crowd that that Duggan had going is so underrated from that time. Dave. Duggan's an interesting guy because if you go back and watch, and I implore everybody, go back and watch some of that Mid-South stuff that they have on the WWE Network. If you enjoyed the NWA reboot that happened last year that kind of got derailed because of the whole world shut down, if you enjoyed that stuff, you're going to enjoy that Mid-South stuff because it still holds up very well. It, it's still a very entertaining show, and Hacksaw was part of that whole thing. He's a guy that I think he did possibly have main event potential but he kind of got pigeonholed with the the usa and the two by four gimmick and all of that which it made him a lot of money you, so you can't really fault him for falling off into that but at the same point in time i think he is another one of those what if guys well i think what really happened yeah. is he didn't he get caught didn't he get pulled over him in the iron Sheik after three yeah yeah and you yeah. weren't supposed to be in the same car let alone with a good guy or a bad guy, but the same fucking guy you attacked that night with the goddamn two by four, and you're going to the goddamn Holiday Inn, like this Getting is the, high. This is, well, that's neither here nor there. That's not the Rob Van Dam Sabu story. <laughs> it doesn't help. It doesn't help, Tony. Yeah, but it wouldn't have mattered if you would have got pulled over with, I don't know, who name it. If, if him and Hillbilly Jim would have got pulled over in the same circumstance, no derailment to Duggan's push whatsoever, regardless of whatever's happening there. This is 1980, whatever, 
1987. 87. There's no way. But I mean, it's 30 years later, and he's still making money off that whole gimmick. So it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of well, hard you, to you fault him. I think, Chris. I think. You were talking about Duggan in Mid-South, and you compare Duggan in Mid-South to what he became in the WWF. They really kind of dumbed the character down in the whole progressing of Americana. You know, they just kind of made him goofy, like they did with a lot of, like, the Bushwhackers. You compare it, the Sheep Herders oh, to the Bushwhackers. God. The Sheep Herders, they were killers. <laughs> the went wrong? Yeah, exactly. The Sheep Herders were killers. Sheep Herders were absolutely amazing wrestlers, and then they got the damn Bushwhacker gimmick, Oh my God! One of the biggest travesties in wrestling to this day. Just a pure this is straw of bad luck. <laughs> this is what Vince did, though. More you can often boot than him not. Anytime. Yeah. Get, yeah. Kick him out of here. Now, um, I, I do think that hacksaw got you know that that sort of thing didn't help his character. Um, you'll see it at WrestleMania four where he kind of just. You know, he's going to take out DiBiase right at the beginning and Andre gets involved, which kicks off a pretty fun feud between Hacksaw and Andre because Andre needed people to work with at that point in time. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I always liked Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He could have been something, but Vince, I think, saw him as somebody different. And that was, that was we see it to this day. We all see great stuff. Keith Lee's fantastic. Vince like, I don't see it. And that's the end of the story, so... So I do want to get to four and five because I think three has been beaten to death by everybody. And I think there's some meat on the bone with four and five. But obviously, Andre Hogan, the slam hurt around the world. We obviously have to talk about that at least a little bit. Is this the most important match in the history of the modern era? Most important? Absolutely. I, I, I really think that best match no that happened much earlier on the card but when you're looking at historical importance and what it did for the industry and all those intangibles involved i mean that the fact that they had a whole documentary about this whole thing i, I don't see how you look at hogan andre and come up with a conclusion other than yes that is still the most important ma and, and the reason why it's the most important match before tunny jumps in here i just want to say this you tell me any other match in the industry at that time that would have drawn 90,000 or whatever number it was to the Pontiac Silverdome other than Hogan Andre. And that's why it's the most important match in wrestling history. It's the most important build-up to a match in wrestling history. And honestly, if you think about it, the build-up to wrestling matches, boxing matches, and UFC matches, more times than not, are extremely more important and more polarizing than the actual event that happens. One of the saddest things, because similar to Tony, I went back and watched the first six manias leading up to our discussion we're having today, which I'm, I'm enjoying. And if you all are enjoying it, make sure you all go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt to make sure we can keep having conversations like this. But it was sad seeing the deterioration of Andre the Giant from one to six because i mean even here at wrestlemania three he's just so limited and it's just not a whole lot that he can do and it's just it, it's sad especially if you know anything about andre or you go back and seek out some of his earlier things which you can find him on youtube this motherfucker was doing drop kicks and he did the first ever kind of sort of pedigree like he was actually 
for as big as he was, he was a hell of an athlete as well. And just to see how limited he became here in in these, I guess the frankly the waning years of his life. That's that was a little tough to watch. Yeah, like if if you watch the Hogan uh, the Andre Chronicle on HBO that they did a couple years ago, where Hogan's talking about that. Okay, and Hulk Hogan, we know that he doesn't always yeah. tell the full story, <laughs> but I kind of believe him on this stuff where he's talking about how. Andre's back was really bad, things that we've heard, uh, you know, and how Hulk was just trying, and even Meltzer's talking about how limited Andre was, and and it's like, look, as long as they didn't fuck this whole thing up, the match was going to be a success. Uh, but yeah, like you're saying, Platt, there were a lot of things Andre couldn't do at that point in time. Uh, it, it, it probably would have been a completely different match had it happened two or three years earlier. Or like like we talked, you tr- talked earlier about Hogan's first run, I think Aesop did, I actually, one of the first wrestling cards I went to, the main event was Hogan-Andre, when Hogan was the heel and Andre was the face. And early in the match in WrestleMania three, Hogan goes for the slam on Andre. Andre falls on him for that two count. Well, at the match I saw, that was a three count. Andre was a much different competitor back then, much more agile, much more menacing in the ring, even though he was a baby face. But yeah, it, it, is, it is sad when you see and you see it in WrestleMania 4, which we're going to get to, which was part of the reason why 4 is looked down upon, is all this anticipation about the Hogan-Andre match, and it's a double DQ in five minutes. You know, that didn't help. But like you're saying, Andre was a shell of who he was by 1987. Um, but still, he took that slam with a surgical back. You know, I think his back had already been operated on at that point in time. And he put over Hulk Hogan in the biggest, biggest way possible in the most important spot of all time. See, got, you got to show love and respect to Andre the Giant in that moment because he was as important to Hulkamania as Hulk was. Yeah, I can't dispute that. Go ahead, Aesop. I was just going to say that Andre's babyface run is something that a lot of people do forget about because it does get overshadowed by his heel match with Hogan at WrestleMania. I, I mean... Really, uh, Andre was an amazing babyface. He was so good at being a babyface. And even before WWF, man, those matches were so fun to watch. And like you said, super nimble, very much the athlete. And I see a lot of matches of his later on um, when he starts to tag you know, really trying to protect his body a lot. And it's really rough watching a guy that, you know, in just a short amount of time, completely broke down for one reason or another, you know, whether you it was wrestling or probably it had something to do with his, uh, his partying, uh, you know, both pre and post shows, um, you know, it just sucked to see Andre uh, just break down so fast because he was one hell of an athlete. If I could just jump on what Aesop said there, Chris, back in the day, because I'm the old guy here, um, they had wrestling magazines back way back then. The wrestler and pro wrestling illustrator were the big ones. They did. They used to do these rankings of best wrestlers, WWF, NWA, AWA. And then they would have the most popular and most hated list. Andre was always number one most popular as a babyface. Every single issue. That's how over he was as a babyface. 
And I remember those magazines as well, Dave, because I remember that they seemed to all have a picture of Abdullah the Butcher with a bloody forehead and a fork sticking out his mouth on the cover on all of them. And that's <laughs> enough for the AEW deathmatch for this episode of WrestleMania Rewind. Uh, well, another thing, one last thing I just want to chime in. Sorry, I know we're kind of jumping on Andre for a second, but there are so many fantastic videos and pictures of Andre with children as well, too, which is like some of the like most heartwarming stuff you could possibly see because that guy loved being a baby face, and he really did love uh, wrestling as much as as anyone could possibly uh, because he wouldn't have jobbed to Hogan if he didn't love wrestling and not in that manner no that's well said man so kind of moving along a little bit we have the rematch on Friday night's main event and this is another famous WWF angle at the time this is the one with the, the two refs the two Hebners that were twins and the fast count and Andre wins the belt and then hands it over to Ted DiBiase because he had initially bought it and this is what leads us into the title tournament at WrestleMania 4 which PC's uncle Jack Tunney said nah this shit ain't going down like that and we're going to have a tournament at Trump Plaza for the world heavyweight title can I just say Andre officially recognized as champion DiBiase not officially recognizes champion. The Mountie not officially recognizes champion. The Rockers not officially recognized as champions. All things that happened, not recognized. Wait, the Mountie was the IC champ, wasn't he? No, he beat Hogan at a house show up in Canada. It was in, in, in like, Canada because you know for he like, was and then like Rougeau, he was over three days there. later he lost it back or something happened and then they decided not the rockers the rockers had a match yeah. taped and won it and like defended the titles at house shows for like almost a month and then this, they just and then they went we're the not top... gonna air it we're gonna give it back to the heart foundation i think it was yeah because the top rope came off and they thought the match looked like shit so they never aired it and i thought it's because of party hey, don't forget backland too because backland also got screwed out on a, a title run as well well, I think Backlund got more than of a title run of time than he. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to be disrespectful. <laughs> I think he got he, plenty of time. I think that made up for itself. But yes, yes, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Bob, Bob was good, and Bob is probably still good. Whatever he's doing right now, probably yelling at some clouds or something. I think he's doing jumping <laughs> you know, jacks the, and sit ups right now. On on the Grand Torino side of the game, but WrestleMania four. And again, I think this is the the impetus for the... We're just going to lump four and five here together because I think it's one long story. Macho Man Randy Savage was clearly the star of WrestleMania 4. This Melon Farmer, four different outfits, four different matches, comes out the world champion with a little bit of help from his friends, i.e. Hulk Hogan, the Mega Powers, all that type of good stuff. Guys, what are your... Oh, well, Tony, you, you want to chime in. Why don't you give us your thoughts on WrestleMania 4, sir? And then throw it around the horn. I enjoyed it. I always enjoy a good wrestling tournament. And if you enjoy good wrestling tournaments, there was countless tag team tournaments if you go back and look at the WWE tag team title history. But 
Yeah, I mean, it's introduction to Donald Trump. We're going to be here for two years if you go back, watch them consecutively. Honestly, the funny thing is, is you, 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 we talk about production value, and you go from one and then to two, and then they start three, and you're like, holy shit, like they, they're going to do this right. And then you get to four, and it's like, okay, this is a little bit different. But at the same time, you still are incorporating the celebrities. Bob Euchre is so underrated in what he does in some of these manias. Oh, my God. I mean, is he not just, like, auditioning to be in Major League? I mean, he's. I think he's, he's doing Mr. Belvedere and still the Brewers commentary. I mean, Aesop and I are definitely Bob Euchre homers, and rightfully so. But, like, dude is phenomenal. He's... He's his major league character for Vince at WrestleMania before he even does it on the big screen. Is this the one? Because I can't remember if it was four or five, but the one that Bob Euchre was thirsting over Vanna White literally the entire broadcast and trying to find her. Was that four or five? I think it's four. I think it's is is it five? four. I think it's five because four he was going for Moolah and then five was uh, Vanna White. But no, either, it's four is Vanna White because Vanna's at oh, the Oh, three is Moolah. Board. Three is Moolah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Four was Vanna because she's at the tournament board and 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 uh, who's who's well, Mean Jean's asking her to pick winners and she's all I like this one and I like this one and so yeah, I think it I think yes. it was four that Vanna was at. But you're right, you're right, Dave. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, I mean four is. I don't. I never understood why people give this such a bad rap. I know the tournament was all five minute matches, other than. Other than Rude and Jake the Snake, which went inexplicably the time limit with no winner, but I guess they just they needed a buy, you know. To, oh, we got to do the got to get a buy here to make this work. But uh, yeah, it is it is the crowning moment for Macho Man Randy Savage. I, you know, I think like I said earlier, I think people wanted to see more out of Hogan and Andre because they had built up that so much with what happened at the main event in Indiana, and everybody expecting this massive explosion at WrestleMania four between. Hogan and Andre, and we're going to get a definitive winner, and you don't get anything of the sort. Which, you know, looking back now, okay, Hogan was going away to film movies. What is he filming? No Holds Barred or something like that? So they needed somebody to run with it. And Vince saw something in Savage, and, you know, he kind of paired him and Hogan together, and the mega powers were formed and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, the tournament was fine. You know, Macho Man, like you're saying, four different outfits. Liz had four different outfits, four very different opponents. I think one of the things that pissed a lot of us off at the time was that when you're looking at the bracket and, and Steamboat Savage, Steamboat too. Savage yes. and we got yeah. robbed of that. But you have to understand that this is 1988. They very, very rarely did face versus face matches. And they were both faces at that time. So it makes sense from the heel face dynamic what they were doing. But boy, that was disappointing because everybody wanted to see a rematch between those guys. And Steamboat goes out without a whimper to Greg Valentine and then he's gone goes back to WCW but I mean yeah this tournament was really a solidification of the mega powers Savage's ascension to the to the top through what Hulk did for him um, it, it's a huge moment in wrestling in WWF history and Wrestlemania history I, I think a big reason that the tournament gets a bad rap is one because they they didn't really structure it as well as they do later on, right? You know, if they would have started off with the round one matches to open up the show, you know, and then had 
uh, you know, a little bit of a break with maybe a tag match or and a singles match outside of that tournament in between, you know, now round two, you know, so on and so forth. It, that really is how we see that tournament format work nowadays, both <laughs> on TV and in like indie setting as well. And, you know, I think that was probably one of the bigger reasons why that kind of uh, halted the the love that WrestleMania 4 really should have because it was a pretty damn good WrestleMania. I mean, even though those matches were only five minutes, I, you don't need much, all that long of a match to have a good match, right? Uh, I, I mean, myself personally, I always say I'm I'm great for six to eight, <laughs> so, and that's really all that you need. So having five minutes, eh, whatever. But I love WrestleMania four. I love seeing Macho Man come out different uh, different attire every single match that he has. That's actually something that I love to kind of play along with myself when I do shows and I have multiple matches. I I change every time because I want to be freaking Macho Man Randy Savage at WrestleMania 4. Also, too, we can't miss how good Ted DiBiase was in WrestleMania 4 because he was a piece of shit and it was great watching. Yeah, his win over uh, Morocco because Andre was in the back at that time and that's probably the purest wrestling match of the entire tournament and and that was that was a great match and you got to see because they didn't do too much of that with DiBiase because he was such a prick and he was just buying people off and him and Virgil were doing the thing they rarely let you really see how good of a wrestler DiBiase was except for that match and then the brief stuff he did with Savage so yeah that's that's a good point also Wrestlemania 4 Demolition breaks through and wins the WWF tag titles and starts up until the New Day came along, the longest tag reign in WWF history by beating Strike Force at this event. Bret Hart turns face, you know? Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, you know, Brutus Beefcake and Honky, whatever. But Honky. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy just, got his hair cut. That always Honky. trips me out, though, whenever uh, Jesse's like, oh, here goes Honky or whatever. It's just. Is funny to me. What about the honkettes? <laughs> you know, we were talking about that earlier too, about guys that got uh, that bad rub once they came over with, you know, with WWF and having a new gimmick. DiBiase kind of falls in that because don't get me wrong, the Million Dollar Man was a fantastic gimmick, but dude, Ted DiBiase was great on the Indies, man, in the, in the territories. And, and like I said before, realistically, I think DiBiase could have had that big baby face run if given that opportunity. But he was so freaking good as the Million Dollar Man. How could you even give him that opportunity? How could you break away? No, touche, touche. And kind of moving a little forward, because, again, we're and we can talk about four and five simultaneously, because, again, I like I said earlier, I think this is the best piece of storytelling that WWFE whatever has ever done. And it was with the Mega Powers explosion, which till this day, I don't care what anybody says, Macho Man was not wrong at all. 
Can we agree on that? Can we come to a consensus that Macho Man was the face in this scenario? Super suspect, right? Super sus. I, if I can comment on this, because I lived and died with this storyline. I agree with you, Chris. It is the greatest piece of storytelling in WWF history. It is an example of how long-term booking can be done perfectly that they can't replicate today. It, it is it is a story of, of the disintegration of a friendship over whether it was real or just perceived in Macho Man's mind. The the disintegration of this friendship between him and Hulk Hogan and everything that they did about that whole storyline was just so phenomenally well done that you just don't get anything like that. From my standpoint, we when this was going on, and I remember this real well, even my brain is just, I mean, lots of things I've lost at 52 years old, this I remember really, really well. We loved Macho Man Randy Savage. When he turned heel, it broke our hearts, Chris, because we knew at that point, we'd been programmed by WWF at that point, you have to boo the heel. None of us wanted to boo Macho Man, but we felt compelled to do so. And it, it was it was one of those moments, and, and it's rare, but we all lived through this where you were literally torn apart by this whole thing. It's like, he's my hero. I don't want to boo this guy. I love Hulk, but God, Macho Man's so cool. Um, so it was traumatic for those of us going through it back in 1989 to have to deal with this thing. And a lot of people didn't buy in at WrestleMania five. You hear even Jesse comments. You can hear there's macho madness going on. I imagine if you were actually there, there was a lot more cheering going on for macho man than probably came across on the broadcast. Well, and, and that's the thing, Dave, WrestleMania five, number one, heading into that, even after macho's heel turn, he was still doing damn good business at the house shows. And I, I think a lot of it is the storytelling that they did, and I think a lot of it is because Macho Madness was taking shape. But at that time, WrestleMania Five was the highest-grossing WrestleMania of all time. They did one point, I believe it was $7 million at the box office, which would equate nowadays to about $12 million, which I know it's peanuts to what they're doing now. But at the time, that was big fucking business, PC. I mean, that works. I it's it's just it's so fun to me having watched these two. Like you said, the storyline and the progression and everything else. Like, I mean, literally in what seventy two hours, I've watched WrestleMania one through six. So to me, it's like a six part story. It's a six part story of Vince showing you who Hulk Hogan is realizing what he has in macho man randy savage and improving his production value along the way um bobby heenan jimmy hart jesse ventura gorilla monsoon gene okerland uh these are unsung heroes that were there the entire time uh alfred maybe not the last couple but just just a phenomenal way of of having this story being told if it's just WrestleMania. One hey, thing we got to mention, I was oh, going to go say, ahead, Chris, please. There's, there's a side quest going on here. We're focusing on Hogan and Andre, but one thing that happened at WrestleMania four, that's going to become important was the debut of the ultimate warrior at WrestleMania. So he's running parallel Hogan and Hogan and Savage are on this one track and getting ready to explode. But coming up fast behind them is the ultimate warrior. And, and he gets a lot of momentum between four and five when he dethrones honky tonk man in that epic match at Madison square garden. 
And his match with Rude is a big deal at WrestleMania five. So there's now a third player coming along in this mix that, that I, I think at this point in time, when you get to five, you've got to start talking warrior because, okay, his match with Hercules at four was who gives a shit. He was yeah. there. Yeah. Very meh, but you can't deny what happens after that and what happens at SummerSlam and then leading into five. And now you've got a third player who is very quickly going to eclipse the two in front of him as we move along. So I just want to, I just want to add that in there because I thought, well, we probably shouldn't overlook that. No, I'm glad you did. And Aesop, I'm going to let you get in here momentarily. But Dave, you literally took the words out of my mouth because PC, I was going to kind of bridge the gap here because PC brought up Bobby Heenan. And, you know, he can't be overstated these first six WrestleManias either. And at this WrestleMania five, this was his first taste of gold that the Heenan family achieved with Ravishing Rick Rude beating Ultimate Warrior with a whole lot of help from Bobby the Brain holding down Warrior's foot as the count was made. But but Aesop, go ahead and get in here, man. Let me just say this before you jump in, Aesop, and this is really quick. As an Ultimate Warrior fan and, and, and just gigantic Ultimate Warrior fan, when I was, I mean, I was six seven eight years old at the time i mean like that that's perfect for a six seven eight year old this ultimate warrior right but when he when he drops rude in that match it just was embarrassing for me to watch i forgot about that and it sucks because he could have saved it he could have rolled out of the ring instead of saving himself on the apron and coming back and making it clumsy he could have rolled right out of the ring, in my opinion, when they stumbled out and he tried to pick it back up for like a second uh, backbreaker, I think it was. But at the time, people didn't do stuff like that. And the Warrior probably wasn't the one calling the match either. Well, not to mention, Warrior wasn't exactly the most ring-smart wrestler out there. Look, say what you want about Ultimate Warrior as a character. He is a freaking superhero, right? But his in-ring ability was not very good, nor was it ever very good. But he's lucky that he had a persona that people were totally mesmerized by. I mean, we talk about uh, uh, Macho Man's promo ability. Take Macho Man, crank it up to 11, and then inject that with... LSD. I mean, that is that is Ultimate Warrior, right? And that was one of those uh, Aesop, car crashes Aesop, that talk, you could not turn away from. Talk about right guy, right time. Any earlier, any later, doesn't work, right? Uh, well, no, well, well, ho- not ho- hold on. Hold on. Put a pin into that because I, I do want to get into that. I, I've got a question for that. And that's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Tony. But let's transition into six here because you know, just from a personal aspect, I really started watching wrestling consistently in late 87, we'll say, going into 88. And I missed Andre and Hogan. Obviously, I heard about it, and I went back and watched it and all that good stuff. But Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan, for my adolescent mind, this was my Andre and Hogan. At the time, this was the biggest thing that had ever happened to me in the history of my young existence, you know? And at the time, I was a, a huge Hulkamaniac. And I cried like a baby when I watched Hulk Hogan 
succumb to Ultimate Warrior. Like this was just such a this was just such a huge deal to me at this particular point in time. I'm so glad you cried. I really am. Like honestly, <laughs> Shut up. honestly, and you know what? Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie a little bit of uh, stuff together. Aesop, stop me if you if you knew this, but my father and Frank played softball together when I was growing up. You know all this. Frank told me. Uh, Frank actually told me in I August. You know this. You know this. Okay. Frank told me in August of '89 wait, wait, wait. Oh, that oh, Warrior on, was are, are going you to tell win. The rest of us who Frank is, so we can follow along with the story as well and have some context. I'm just talking about uh, Mr. DeFalco, Bruce City Wrestling. The Godfather himself. Oh, okay. thank you. I've thank told you. this many Please. a times, but it's apropos at this moment because literally, an an eight year old PC Tunney is at a softball field and is talking all this mad stuff wrestling wise to Frankie the Thumper DeFalco, AWA WWF star in his own right, and he's like, "All right, kid, you know." It, let me let me smarten you up a little bit. You like the warrior? It's gonna happen. And sure enough, if it didn't, but you know, nonetheless, I, I just want to put that out there. That that's very much my childhood, uh, in acquaintance with your childhood. I was the warrior kid. You were the Hogan kid. What one of the biggest things that I always look at for uh, Mania Six is it, it's finally like Hogan playing ball with the company, right? Uh, you know, he was he is notorious for being a guy that wants to put himself over constantly. And you I mean it's very evident, right? Uh, but for him to go out there and, and put over Ultimate Warrior, man, like that's that's a lot. And uh, like you had said, this is a commodity that just sort of came out of nowhere, really. Ultimate Warrior, the way that he would run to the stage is more or less what he did getting to WrestleMania 6. He started off at WrestleMania 4, and he did not slow down until he got to that title win against Hogan. And I think that is arguably pretty big. I know we we were just talking about uh, Andre and Hogan and how important of a match that was. We can't undersell how important Warrior and Hogan was. Well, Dave no, talks not... about the face versus face, right? I mean... Well, that's that's what I was going to say, is that this match was huge because you've got the face versus face that they never did. And and not only did they not do it... I mean, you, you saw it here and there every once in a while. You would, you would get, like, you know, Rocker's Heart Foundation, but they were... You're talking about the main event of WrestleMania... You got Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior. Um, another thing that that's really important about this match, it, it, and Aesop's talking about Hogan playing ball with the company. This is the first time in WrestleMania history that you got to figure Hogan was the ring general, right, Aesop? I mean, he was the one calling the match in the ring. I mean, I'm sure they worked out most of it, but oh, Hogan oh was... yeah, Warrior. Like I said, Warrior was not good in the ring, and he needed help constantly there are countless uh, amounts of stories where you know the other guy had to like tell him what was the next spot or or even call his own moves for him because warrior was just bad man uh and it's pretty 
it's we're pretty fortunate that we got to see Warrior because realistically, that should have never happened. Uh, the minute that we kind of uh, the minute that the the gorilla and backstage would would have found out that Warrior was a goddamn debacle in the ring, uh, both to work with and spot wise realistically that sends them right to the lower card if not out of the company but for some reason there was something special with warrior that everyone could see and they were able to continue with his storyline and more or less his popularity is goldberg just the second coming of ultimate warrior he doesn't have warrior's charisma at all i don't think that's my opinion but going back to Hogan and Warrior, um, you got a 20-minute-plus match out of two guys who really didn't know shit about doing anything in the ring. And this, I mean, okay, Warrior Savage at WrestleMania Seven is probably Warrior's best performance, but I put that all on Macho Man Randy Savage. The fact that Hogan and Warrior, two guys who really aren't known for their ring generalship or being able to do stuff, put together one hell of a match for over 20 minutes one of the best performances of either of their careers, I would say. And it works. And the match works and it's entertaining. And the ending is one of the best endings in WrestleMania history because you just think it's going to go down like every other Hulk Hogan match. Hulk Hulk's up. He's going to drop the leg. And that's it. And then Warrior moves and pins him. Like, you're talking about, like, Chris, you were a Hulkamaniac. He was a Warrior fan. My house at that time, pay-per-view, there were 20 people downstairs. 15 of them are rooting for Warrior. Five of them are rooting for Hulkamania. I'm one of the Hulkamaniacs, and we were just despondent that Warrior had won. But it's it it you cannot undersell what a massive moment that was for multiple reasons. You got the face versus face dynamic, and now you've created a third major star in WWF and the Ultimate Warrior. The fact that he flopped so badly after this is almost irrelevant because it proved that Hulk Hogan was mortal, even though he it proved he was mortal even though he became immortal in the same match if that makes any damn sense no, no one really makes... even oh go ahead Vlad. sorry just, no no worries man just real quick man i'll let you get back in here that's uh it's funny because you know doing my half-ass internet research trying to put this show together i found out that this show wrestlemania 6 was actually a disappointment at the box office and pay-per-view buys like it didn't do what wrestlemania 5 had did and it's funny because again as a kid this was like the biggest thing that had ever happened but it underperformed and i guess maybe that was foreshadowing how the warrior title run was going to do but but go ahead and get in here asap I was going to say no one really even remembers Warrior for the negative uh, because realistically he had a short run with popularity in that company, right? And he crashed hard. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I was just agreeing with Dave altogether that Warrior is purely remembered for this match. And no, I might be giving a very, very big hot take here. Uh, Warrior and Hogan, to me, are some of the most overrated wrestlers as far as technique-wise and uh, you know the overall picture. This match, though, really helped solidify them as being 
one of the greats altogether because I mean we we weren't seeing technical masterpieces out of Hogan. We were never seeing that out of Ultimate Warrior and we got we got one finally at WrestleMania seven, uh, 6. So I could agree with you if I had never seen Hogan's work in New Japan. And it showed that I mean was he Luthez or anything like that? No. But it showed that when he had to, he could work. But they found a formula that worked, and it made everybody a lot of money. You know what I mean? So I, it is what it is. I can't fault him for that. Everyone but. brings up New Japan. Everyone. Do you think Go Hogan? On. Do you think Hogan faces the Rock at WrestleMania down the line if he doesn't adapt the style he adapted throughout the '80s and into the '90s? I mean, honestly, if he continues to wrestle that New Japan style, don't you think at some point he goes, you know what? <laughs> I can go out there and do nothing but rake your back, poke you in the eye, punch you in the face, body slam you, drop a leg, and and I and I'm gonna be good. And how long did I'm it not, last? Think about it. No I'm one had a, dis- no one I'm, had a longer I'm, I'm run than Hogan, except for San Martino, maybe. I'm not disagreeing with any of that because, you know, you you can say what you want about him in the ring, but there's very few people in the history of this industry that have the psychology that Hulk Hogan had. He knew how to have a crowd eating out the palm of his hand, whether they wanted to wanted whether he wanted them to boo him or cheer him. He's a master at psychology, both inside and outside the ring. Oh, I think I think psychology is the wrong word to use if we're going that route, uh, because Hogan's psychology for a match was pretty straightforward uh, I, I mean but his but charisma his charisma yeah, is a different story but okay. it's, it's not the psychology uh, and you know again that's I think that's Chris mean, I think really. I think Chris okay. means okay. match style to be honest with you think about what a WWE match style is honestly like you you don't work you don't put over work rate you put over storyline except for once or twice uh, you know uh, once or twice a month then you the storyline is first and then the work rate comes from the storyline and that's what Hogan no. did right and Vince th- did they do that together who created that who chicken or no, egg what what this this is what I'm saying and then I want to move on so we can start to wrap it up but this is what I'm saying rest his soul Michael Jackson could come on stage and you, if you know me you know how I feel about Mike Jack Michael Jackson could come on stage and stand there for five minutes and turn his head to the right and have 70, 85,000 people eating out the palm of his hand. And he literally did absolutely nothing. And whatever that was, and maybe Aesop is right. Maybe it is just charisma. But whatever that thing is, I feel as if Hulk Hogan has that as well. Or at least had it. I mean, I mean, you have that nowadays with, with Roman Reigns. Don't get me wrong. Not the same level. You know, but that's because wrestling has grown through Hogan and the way that he was able to reach the masses through his personality. It was not through his match technique. So, real quick, and Dave, I'm going to start with you, and I want to go around the horn, okay? This is probably my favorite what if in the history of professional wrestling obviously we know 
Ultimate Warrior, Steve Borden, also known as Sting. They basically broke in at the same time under Rick Bassman, who just would take all these bodybuilders and teach them how to wrestle and basically just stole their money. You know what I mean? <laughs> basically, that's just what he did. But what if Sting gets signed by WWF as opposed to Warrior? And everything and every how that the Warrior played out, it's Sting instead. How does that change anything? If at all, Sting was a uh, infinitely better worker than Warrior. Sting had better long-term charisma than Warrior, and he uh, played better with others. He did, but I, I still—I I mean, I think once Hogan leaves after nine, I think you would have seen Sting really start to take the mantle and run with it. I don't know if there would have been a huge difference. I—I I, I think Sting would have taken the title run that he got from Hogan at WrestleMania six and done a lot more with it than warrior would have, because he would have approached it differently. He probably would have taken it a little bit more seriously. And not to say warrior didn't take it seriously. I think stings approach would have been different. Uh, you look at what he did in the NWA, when he's working with a guy like Ric Flair, who let's be honest, has every bit the ego that Hulk Hogan has. So let's not kid ourselves. And sting was able to play ball with flair for a, what a decade. So, it tells me Sting was more mature than the Warrior. Um, you look at the longevity, and yes, I understand Sting's still alive and, and, and Jim Helwig is not, but I, I do think there would have been some noticeable differences. Sting would have had a longer run. I think you would have got that rematch at WrestleMania 7 that we never got, that I never could understand. Why didn't we get Warrior Hogan at WrestleMania 7? Nobody knows. That's why they were going to the LA Memorial Coliseum, because they were going to get 100,000 people for this huge rematch, and then no one knows the truth about what happened. I think you would have got that with Sting. I, I think he would not have self-destructed. And I hate using that term because that's WWE marketing, the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. So I hate using that. But it's true. Warrior did self-destruct to a great extent. I don't think you get that with Steve Borden as much. So would things have been different? Yes. How much so? That's a tougher question. So, ASAP, I want you to back clean up here, brother, and wrap this up. But, Tony, real quick, is the answer to my question what happened at Starcade 97? And we saw what would have happened if it, if it was Sting as opposed to Warrior. Well, that was what I was just going to say. I mean, I don't think you're penalizing anything if you put Sting in Ultimate Warrior's position. But if you put Ultimate Warrior in Sting's position to have something happen for the NWO that's significant before Goldberg, then uh, Aesop, don't shake your head at me. God damn it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hit on. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Correct me. Oh, you got it. You need a lasange. A lozenge. You need some honey. It's a lasage, man. <laughs> I know, I'm just fucking around. <laughs> I chose to stay muted through this debacle. Well, I literally asked you to back clean up and you have nothing. Is that what you're telling me? It's time for a break. I was waiting for you to give me uh, an extra question here. You gave Dave one. You gave Tunny one. I just have to go off of both of them. All right. Sloppy seconds for me. It is. Uh, Sting was and is the better all around talent. He had, uh, he had a better wrestling technique. We've that's, like undeniable 
arguably he took the same gimmick though and ran in a different path with it. You know, the the Ultimate Warrior character would not have had the same amount of staying power that Sting had. Eventually that character would have had to change and evolve, I think. And we saw that later on when they bring Ultimate Warrior to WCW and you know, that's that's for a different story, obviously. But Sting was and is still uh, an icon, right? Not to be a not to to be a pun, but Sting is still going to this day, and he took that that beach surfer bum though and transformed it gradually until finally it hit that big crow. Form, right? And me, we even got stupid Joker Sting, for God's sakes, that still was uh, a figure that people were drawn to. Let me ask do a quick think, question. Do you think that Ultimate Warrior could have pulled that off? I don't. No, I, I have a better question for you. What what gimmick would Scott Hall have suggested to the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> instead of Sting? Uh, Come on, it, that's funny. That's good. That's good stuff. God. See, there, there's one. There's there's one big advantage that Sting had over Warrior. Sting spoke in complete sentences. Go on, Chris. <laughs> I got nothing, man. That was hilarious. <laughs> he had six inches on Warrior, and I'm not talking about below the belt. I'm talking about the space between their ears. Which is why I think that the the Sting. Mania stuff could have worked, or Sting WWE stuff could have worked. But go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. We're going to wrap it up, man. I was just going to say what Tony was talking about below the waist. I say in this segment of uh, WrestleMania Rewind, brought to you by Pornhub. Go ahead, Chris. And Dadass. No. No. I would have said Blue Chew, but, you know, that's a difference. (laughs) Via Pornhub or Blue Chew, neither one of them are paying us to do spots on our shows for them. So we love you both. Come holler at us. But in the meantime, We're going to throw to a quick commercial to some people that are paying us to do spots. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So before we continue, I do have to remind you all to go to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. If you enjoy the content that we provide day in and day out at the chair shot, the best way to make sure we keep providing that content is by going to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and picking up an official chair shot t-shirt. We've got something for everybody. You're gonna find something you love, I guarantee it. The chairshot.com forward slash Excuse me, pro wrestling tees for slash thechairshot.com. And remember, thechairshot.com, we're not just a website, we're a movement. So, as we're wrapping it up here, and everybody's talking shit about me, so everybody can kiss my ass, but we're going to get into a little of uh, what I affectionately like to call Platt's Facts, i.e., just some odds and ends and interesting tidbits concerning these first six WrestleManias that you may or may not have ever heard of. So, Let's get into them. And feel free to comment, ladies and gentlemen. Well, there's no ladies. I know. That was a shade. Y'all threw shade at me, so I threw shade at y'all. Okay, that's how that works. Anywho, moving right along. So, 
WrestleMania one was up until this day the only WrestleMania where they sang the national anthem as opposed to America the Beautiful. And it's funny because obviously Gene Okerlund sang the national anthem at the first WrestleMania. So that performance of Gene Okerlund singing the national anthem, it didn't actually air live on the broadcast. But if you go to the WWE network, they do air it. And if you hear the performance, you see why it didn't air live. Because Mean Gene, God bless the dead, he was super talented and great at a lot of things, but clearly singing wasn't one of them. So, moving right along, gentlemen, this is open to anybody. Can any one of you gentlemen name the first wrestler to compete for every single major title at a WrestleMania? I'm going to say Bret Hart. Are you talking about Tag, World, and IC? Just three? Yes. Because those were the only ones in the first six, man. Where everything, everything that we're talking about right now is confined to the first six manias. Yeah, no one did. That's not true. These are Platt's facts. And no, it wasn't Bret Hart Day. In the first Do six, y'all give up. In the first six, someone competed for just, all three. Just say you give up. Yeah, no, I'm asking just say a you question. I I don't want to give up. I don't I don't have to say. Why, I why, why, ask me? why would it be a Platt's fact if it didn't happen? And it wasn't DiBiase, Sop. All right, give us a freaking answer already. Andre? Greg the Hammer Valentine. Never competed for the world title. That's not true. Let me break it down. Okay, WrestleMania won. He was the IC champ. He competed against Junkyard Dog. No, just tell me when he competed for the world title at WrestleMania. God damn it, I'm getting there. Just shut the fuck up. Well, you're wrong. So as I... No, I'm not. Just listen. Oh, because he was in the okay. tournament? That's bullshit. That's that's that's, that's crap. Not... That's crap on a stick. I'm calling bullshit right now. It's not bullshit. He competed for the IC title. He was the IC champion, and uh... he lost via disqualification at WrestleMania 1 to Junkyard Dog. He competed at WrestleMania 2 with Brutus Beefcake before he was the barber against the British Bulldogs for the tag titles. And technically, he was in the world title tournament in WrestleMania 4, ultimately losing in the quarterfinals to the eventual winner, Macho Man and Randy Savage. So he was technically the first wrestler to compete for all of the major titles at WrestleMania. You can shake your head. He's never been in a he's never been in a championship match for the WWF title. The, the Doesn't term, count. Can't buy that. Sorry. <laughs> Fuck you all. Moving right along. <laughs> the first WrestleMania to this day is the only WrestleMania where the world title was not defended. Is this a true or false? No, that's what happened. It's Platts. It's true. It's true. I was gonna yeah. say I can't. I can't think of any other time. Yeah. No, that's what happened. What the fuck? You're like morphing into a Morton Downey Jr. character right now. Shut up. Too bad we didn't get to him. Shout out to Morton Downey Jr., R.I.P. He had that great segment in WrestleMania 5 with Roddy Piper and Brother Love, but we wrapping it up now. It's too late. We'll get to you next time. Probably not, but maybe. All right, so 
I think we all know this story as wrestling fans. Allegedly, Ted DiBiase was initially scheduled to win the world title at WrestleMania 4. Apparently, the honky-tonk man didn't want to do the favors to Macho Man and give him the IC belt, so he got elevated to the world title. I mean, it sounds weird. Like, number one, when did Honky get all that? Well, never mind. Honky always had stroke. But when did Honky Tonk Man get the stroke like that, that he could call those shots? But that's the that's the scuttlebutt. Imagine how different things would have been had it gone down that way. DiBiase, man, I'm telling you, DiBiase would have made a great champion. No offense to Macho Man, because I love Macho, but DiBiase... I really have some bias towards him. Well, it would have been more of the heel with Andre, I would imagine, you know, moving forward. But she wouldn't have got the mega wouldn't have got the mega powers exploding. So No, so probably a good thing. Yeah. I really thank, you, thank you, Honky. There you go. Hashtag thank you, Honky. Thank Maybe, you, not. Honky. Maybe not. Clap, clap, clap. clap. <laughs> I, I can't name this episode that, can I? I'm not going to. No, I can't. I can't. Thank you, Honky is hilarious. WrestleMania <laughs> 1 through 6. Thank you, Honky. So I, I had to bring this up, man. And I don't know, Dave, I, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, Richard Belzer incident. So for those that don't remember, Richard Belzer was a, a famous comedian. You all would probably know him as Ice-T's partner on Law & Order SVCU or SVU. Don't, don't. Detective um, Munch. Munch. There you go. There you go. So he was a comedian, and, you know, his gimmick and his shtick was very – I, I want to say he was Bill Maher before Bill Maher. I, I, is that fair to say? It was It was very, you know, kind of would... that, that uh, – Type yeah, of yeah, I get. I wouldn't put dry, him on Bill Maher's category, dry. but you, you wouldn't put him. You wouldn't put him on that level. But you right. see why I'd say that yes. there's some kin, you know, yes. in, in in terms of their comedy. Yeah, I don't think he was as funny as Bill, but yeah. So he had a talk show back in the day, the Richard Meltzer show, and leading up to WrestleMania, Mr. T and Hulk Hogan they appeared on the show, and again, Belzer doing his smug type of gimmick and again this is around the same time that Dr. D. David Schultz was slapping the shit out of John Stossel on 2020 so people took the gimmick and, and took kayfabe a lot more serious than they do now so Belcher's being smug and one thing leads to another and he allows Hulk Hogan to put him in a sleeper hold and Hulk Hogan puts him in a sleeper hold and within what 5 to 10 seconds Belzer is out cold and Hogan releases the hold, and Belzer falls. His lifeless body just falls, and he smacks up against the, the floor of the stage. And, you know, he's just all fucked up. So, fast forwarding, Belzer actually sued Hulk Hogan for $5 million. Now, they ended up settling out of court, but this is the funny part, at least to me. They settled out of court. He sued him for $5 million. They settled out of court for four hundred grand. And Belser took his winnings and bought a farmhouse out in, I think it's called Nice, France. And he actually named the farmhouse Shea Hogan, which, excuse my French, which I think that's the only time I've ever said that in the proper context. But all that happened. So, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. 
I think it was a front face lock that he had Belzer in and not a sleeper hold, but I, I, I'm not sure, but I think it was a front face lock and, and Belzer fell forward. And yeah, that Jesse that Ventura sort of even made mention of said thing, uh, from a front face lock mentioned by gorilla monsoon said, looks like Richard Belzer in that front face lock right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're, you're right, David. If you're interested, you can find it on YouTube right now. Cause I looked it up on YouTube. It's I'm sure it's still there. So go look it up. It's interesting to say the least. Yeah. People taking liberties with the business back then. And, uh, didn't work out so well for some of these, uh, jobbers and not jobbers, lay people get out of our yard, that sort of thing. Pretty much. So I just have a few more remaining. So, there was a plan on the table initially for Hogan to fight Zeus, a.k.a. Tiny Debo Lister at WrestleMania six, as opposed to Ultimate Warrior, coming off the whole no-holds-barred thing. Obviously, cooler heads prevailed because we saw the match at SummerSlam, and yeah, it probably worked out better than it would have, so there's that. Um, On a bit of a somber note here, WrestleMania 6 was Andre the Giant's last televised match in WWF. He did a couple of international tours after that, but as far as seeing him on television, that was it. And WrestleMania 6 actually holds the record for the wrestling card with the most deceased wrestlers on it, which right now stands at 20. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When you think about people on that card i mean everybody in that mixed tag match is deceased uh including elizabeth you look uh warrior's gone uh god i mean who else piper's gone bad news brown is gone um wow i mean it's it's depressing <laughs> that's that's so many of you know so many people who were with us and, and were so important to that card are just no longer with us but yeah that's Thanks, Chris. I want to go slish, slap, slash my wrist here, but, you know, it's it's all right. So we are going to end on a, on a higher note, but I felt like that it deserves to mention. And RIP to all of those that aren't with us anymore. So I think you all know that Diamond Dallas Page was actually the one driving the car with Rhythm and Blues, Valentine, and Honky <laughs> to the ring at WrestleMania 6 and the only reason he got the gig is because he was the only person that anybody knew that had a pink Cadillac so that was kind of cool and Fink the legendary Howard Finkel R.I.P. he's the one that actually came up with the name and the term WrestleMania so yeah I hope said some, Go ahead. Vince had some dumb name for WrestleMania didn't he the Colossal Tussle or some shit like that wasn't what it, what he was thinking of calling it? Welcome to the Colossal Tussle. It's <laughs> such great shit. And on that note, Mr. Uh, Caliglieri, a.k.a. Tom Hagen, why don't you let the good folks know where they can find you, sir, and everything you got going on. Well, you can definitely find me at Honky Number 1 on the Twitter. That's <laughs> my... <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Mr. Mitchell, I'm scared. I don't even know what to call you, man, but plug everything you have going on, man. All right. Look for me on Facebook, Asop Mitchell, A-E-S-O-P Mitchell. Also find me on Twitter. I'm at Violent Asop. Also, I'm on Instagram as well at the Cream City Traveler. Also, too, 
I've just started a new podcast. I'm going to give myself a shout out with my brother. My brother is a uh, sports intern at UW Madison. So we've really uh, decided to get together and, and talk some sports. So we are uh, down the wire. Give us a listen. We have a whole bunch of fun. And uh, that would be great. <laughs> Sorry, personal plug. No, man, that's what I said when I said plug your shit, man. So plug all your shit. Mr. Tunney, you got too much shit to plug, but see what you can fit in the... <laughs> Find me a PC, Tunney. Uh, Aesop, thank you. Check out Down the Wire. I I'm sure it's phenomenal. I agree. I got I, yeah, I got a question for Aesop. I got a question for Aesop. Are you a nerd? Are you into nerd culture? You haven't been on bandwagon nerds yet, so, you know. I'm a huge nerd. Uh, I actively play Dungeons and Dragons every week. Uh, I am big in the theater scene as well. I watch every superhero thing that comes out. I am a gigantic nerd. How have we missed this guy, Tony? I, okay, let's not do this on air. Platt, why don't you go ahead and wrap this up? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What the hell, Tony? Dave, Aesop, honestly, man, from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for coming on here, man. I had an absolute ball chopping it up with you guys, and I appreciate both of you, seriously. And Aesop and I didn't even fight. Not really. Well, but, not, not uh, over the microphone. We had a couple of... Uh, text messages that were argumentative but you know that's a different story screw you Platt what the hell yeah see he gotta give me some shit he, I try to put him over and he gotta give me some shit it is what it is man you got to live the gimmick you guys can find me on Twitter at the real C Platt and preferably you had as much fun listening to this as we did recording it I've had an absolute ball before I get out of here I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you all to go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt again if you appreciate the content we provide day in and day out make sure that we're able to keep providing that content by going to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot Thank you all for tuning in to this inaugural episode. Thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for participating. We'll see you back here next week. We'll try to do a little bit better. But until then, shalom. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.